Yo, sponsoring us today are Westway Nissan. We've got an awesome offer on and always have an awesome offer on for service personnel and veterans. Westway Nissan are the largest Nissan dealership in the UK and they offer up to 20% off their vehicles for members or former members of Her Majesty's Armed Forces. 20% is massive. They have new and used vehicles for sale, private and commercial models, everything from the Nissan Note to the stunning Nissan GTR. Westway Nissan have got branches all over the UK. They've even got one in Aldershot, the home of the British Army. So if you're thinking about getting a new or a used car, you can save yourself a ton of cash with Westway and a discount for ex-military. Get online and have a look at westwaynissan.co.uk or better yet, get your ass into one of their branches. They've got them all over the place. See the cars for yourself. Not only that, if you're ex-military and looking for work, Westway are massive on recruiting you guys and girls into all sorts of roles, from technicians and sales through to service receptionists. If you're stuck for work or not sure where you want to go in Civvy Street, give Westway a call. They will help you out. It is not an easy decision working out what you want to do. At the very least, they can point you in the right direction. At the very best, they can help you get a job. WestwayNissan.co.uk and Westway Nissan on social media. Also sponsoring us today are Rugby for Heroes, who are a not-for-profit organisation founded by a keen group of rugby players. Designed to host various fundraising events to raise money for a range of armed forces charities, including 353, Healthy Heroes, the Royal British Legion and the Soldiers Charity. Since forming in 2009 to commemorate the loss in action of Private Joe Whitaker, a four-paralad, they have raised over £100,000 for their benefit charities, which is massive. The founders are members of Old Lemontonians RFC and are massive supporters of the armed forces and their families. Check them out on their website, www.rugbyforheroes.org and their Facebook, Twitter and Instagram feeds at Rugby Number 4 Heroes. Their next major event is the Rugby for Heroes Beer and Gin Festival to be held at the Old Lemontonians RFC on the weekend of the 10th and 11th of May next year, 2019. To get that penciled into your diaries, that's going to be a cracking weekend. They're really proud to be sponsoring the HR podcast as they see it as a part of their ongoing continuing programme of support for veterans serving members and their families. That's it for the sponsors. On to the show. H plus 27 with uh, Mr. Andy Torbett, former bomb disposal officer, uh, now a flipping neck. Was, he's, he's an adventurer. I'll describe him as an adventurer. Does a lot of TV work for the BBC, well, all sorts of different productions. Diving, uh, skydiving, cave exploring, we had a really good chat about uh, the military, about what he does now, and um, he's. <laughs> I really enjoyed this one, and uh, you, I am sure, will enjoy it too. Enjoy, Andy Torbett. Right, <laughs> Andy Torbett. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> it is Torbet, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's a Torbet. You don't go fully. fully no, uh, no, only, only when I'm in France right. <laughs> or certain parts <laughs> of Soho. <laughs> to, carry, <laughs> to carry on the conversation before we before we start mm-hmm. recording, mm-hmm. tell tell start that story again about <laughs> how you were eighteen and you decided you were going to be a cowboy. <laughs> so you're talking about one of the lads who basically tried to bluff his way on a horseback scene and anything. So yeah, when I was eighteen years old, I, I went travelling across Canada. Uh, in fact, I'd never been in a plane before in my life. So to Canada, to, yeah, yeah. 
and I, I, I managed to get a work visa, so I flew three months off, so I flew to Canada, the idea was going to fly into Toronto and work my way back to Ontario to fly back out, and I stopped in the uh, the Rocky Mountains, and there was a couple of stables that did like horseback trail rides, you know, take tourists for a couple of hours in the mountains, and I thought, I know what I'll do, I'll, I'll be a cowboy, how cool is that, you know? <laughs> so uh, I, went, I went up there, uh, and I went to the local library and got a book. Now, what's what in my favour is that the the Western style of like riding in saddles and all, all that sort of stuff is different to the English. Yeah. So I just rocked up and was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Did ride. you ride already? No. Okay. No. <laughs> I when I was tw- when I was thirteen and fourteen, I used to work in Aberdeen Council stables. There was little cart horses, so I used yeah. to just muck out. So I was, I was happy enough around horses, but I used to just muck out these cart horses. That was all I did. But. Uh, yeah, so I rocked up and said, uh, "Yeah, I want to be. Uh, I want to work for you this summer." And you're like, "Yeah, yeah, cool, cool, cool." You know, "Yeah, cause I'm not horse brilliant. Yeah, well, cool." So I went out with this bloke, uh, the guide, with a load of tourists, and I was in the back horse. And the the sort of headmaster was like, "Right, you know, to the guide, you just keep an eye on the lad, make sure he's all right." And I was like, "Yeah, I was like, yeah, yeah, no worries." Um, so the guy could see me the whole the whole trip, and uh, obviously the horses are so well trained and so just follow the horse in front. I just I could have just gone to sleep with the martyrs. So we got back in, he jumped off, and he said, the out, how was he? Oh, yeah, he was fine, he was fine. I mean, you hadn't seen him the whole trip. So I was like, yeah, 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 dead easy, you know, not, not a problem at all. And then they got me to put some, some uh, you know, saddles and that on the horses, which I couldn't really do properly. I hadn't been in another before in my life. But I was like, oh, well, yeah, it's slightly different than, uh, to the English style of, of saddles <laughs> and tack. And they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, we've heard that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, that was it. Uh so they were like, right, there's a there's there's no slots right now, but you're first on the list, no dramas. Um, to be a, to be to going be a, to cowboy training to basically be a, a horseback trail ride guide in the Rocky Mountains. <laughs> Benjamin, I'd said I've never ridden a horse before, um, and I was there for a month. So the month I was there, I did a bit of work in bar bars and and what have you, and then actually actually mostly working in a Native American craft shop. We'll cover that in a little bit. <laughs> yeah, like all these Americans would walk in, and uh, you know, be like. Dream catchers and all that sort of stuff, and they'd be looking behind the counter and there's some the, the, the whitest man in NATO, like pasty blue <laughs> Scottish bloke, going, "All right, uh, where's my Native American?" Um, but yeah, so when it came time to leave, the, literally the day before, I was due to leave um, uh, Alberta to try and head up across to uh, to Ontario to get my flight. Um, the cowboy place for me up and said, "Right, we've got a gap," you know, and I was like, yeah, "I'm leaving the next day." Mind you, if I'd taken the job, I mean, it would have taken them, you know, one day to rumble me. It's a complete <laughs> bluffer. But yeah, that was my uh, that was my horseback trail guide. How did you end up in Canada? What were you doing? Just on a Just monk- Yeah, yeah. Well, um, so I was at uni. Um, I, um, to say, I'd, I'd, you know, 18, never been out of the country. I've been, you know, Scotland and England, the only two countries I've been to. And um, there was this thing that you could you could sort of, they get your work visa. You could fly to Canada uh, and and you know work for three months and then fly back. Um, so the idea being that you'd work there and pay off your ticket. So I did that, and uh, that was that. They're proper strict there, aren't they? With now with the I don't know if they were then with the immigration. I, I remember I can't remember someone was going. They were talking about um, <clears throat> they were they wanted to emigrate to Canada. I think it was someone I was serving. They were talking about it. Their missus was Canadian, and it's all this point system. It meant they had to have a mental load of points just to get over there for more than a certain period of time. Yeah, and you had to have ah, oh, that was it. You had to have 
you had to have degrees and like proven education and all kinds of stuff it was I, I, I don't know if that was like well I mean I was yeah. it's a temporary it was a three month thing anyway so you know I wasn't going to stay there um, it was like a student work visa what it was called I don't know what mm. it was um, and this was 94 you know, it was a different mm. place from it is now mm. um, yeah it was cool it was like uh, America without the guns in fact I remember watching a TV program I was out there and they did this experiment where they'd found these two towns of roughly the same demographic, one 50 mile north of the border in Canada, 150 mile south of the border in, in the States. I can't remember which state it was. But they, on a Saturday market day, they opened up this little stall and were giving away free handguns. In Canada? It, and in America, so the two, the two it towns. Was, it was a deliberate experiment. Yeah, yeah, yeah to yeah. see which, you know, how, the, how things would, would react differently. And uh, so in the States, literally from the first two hours, all the handguns had gone. People were like, oh, great, free guns, fantastic, brilliant. I'll have some of that. And uh, and in Canada, they were basically run out of town. <laughs> Everyone was like, what the <laughs> fuck are you doing bringing handguns? What are you doing? This is this is not cool. And then they, they sort of, like the sheriff or whatever it was, basically said, look, you guys, you need to pack up and piss <clears throat> off, basically. So, uh, Odd, isn't it? That was, but I say, that's mid-90s. That was just the kind of the difference in, in attitudes, 50 miles, you know, yeah. north and south of that border. Canadians. Um, so if you were, if you went out there and were in your eighteen, then when did you join up then? Uh, just as I turned twenty. What did you do in between? So I did you know what? I left. I left home at sixteen. Yeah. I was a butcher when I was sixteen, um, and I was going to join the Paras because my brother joined at sixteen as well. Um, and I went along to see the careers office in Aberdeen, and it was a Para sergeant major actually who was the man behind the desk at the time. And he said, looking at your my sort of school results, he said, if you were my son, I'd tell you to go to university, have a good time, and then <coughs> join as an officer. Uh, and I was like, nah, just, it was almost reverse snobbery, because I was like, people like me don't become officers, simple as that, you know, it just don't remember, you know, my, my father sides miners, my mum sides farmers, people like me don't, people who are officers play polo and things like that, right? Which is completely wrong. I mean, well, it's it's, it's right in certain regiments, but <laughs> the, most of the army, the working army, uh, it's not the case anymore. But I was like, nah, nah, that's, that's, that's not going to happen. And then my brother who joined at 16 got picked up for a, a, a co-commission, you know, picked up for, um, to go at Sandus as a soldier. Um, and he started Sandus with like, mate, it's not like we thought it was. There's guys here from all backgrounds. It doesn't matter anymore. They're not, they're not, again, certain regiments, you know, if you want to go to the Scots Guards or that, then yes, you need to have a second income. But uh, otherwise, you know, anybody can do it. So I um, went back to see the, the Army Careers Office and had a chat with them. And they said, look, if, unless you want to be a doctor or, you know, a professional engineer, you can go and do any degree you want and enjoy yourself. Thumbs up. So, yeah, I went to uh, I went to uni. As part of the officer, is that... The sponsorship thing. No, no, because I, I thought right, if I'm going to go, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to study something I want. I'm only, I'm going to join the army. I might as well study something that I'm actually interested in. So I did zoology and archaeology. Zoology. Yeah, like wildlife. Ah. My my. Should I knew that. My dissertation was on lions. Was it? Oh yeah. Was it? Yeah. What was it about? It was. About, it was about the evolution of social behaviour. Because they'd be big cats like uh, you know, like tigers and a lot of I mean, jaguars, leopards. Most of them were quite solitary. Was was um, uh, you know, lions are you know uh, operate in in sort of big units, relatively big units for big cats. Well, well, and other cats don't generally. Most big cats don't. No, you get like cheetahs who work in like maybe pairs, but usually that's brothers or sisters. But so. Um, we think about like dogs as being pack animals, but but cats, big cats especially, are always solitary. You know, you know, cougars and, and leopards and jaguars and tigers, whereas lions aren't. 
So, uh, but all the guys on my course, and guys and girls on my course, is, they were looking like, you know, thinking about jobs and that. So they were, they were trying to do what you used to call applied zoology, stuff, wildlife stuff that would apply to commercially. So there's a big onus on, you know, studying the effect of weevils on crops or, you know, this beetle on, on fruit production in the cider mm. or whatever. Um, and I was like, well, I'm going to join the forces and get shot at. So I'm going to do it on lions because lions are cool. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, did that. And then... Uh, which is good. I mean, I loved. I had a great. I mean, I, I had a good time at university. Um, Where uh, was the uni? Sheffield. Ah, my mate went there. I got a mate who went there. Yeah, yeah. He enjoyed it. There. I, yeah. I, I'd never I'm been until he went there. Yeah. I thought it was way down south because <clears throat> coming from Aberdeen, I thought. Well, it is everywhere's way down south. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah, Norway's down south from Aberdeen. The the other thing was that, and this is this. So I was I was I went to uni at seventeen, just after I turned seventeen, I went to uni, and um, with a kind of they kind of help you out there so i got a, a bank account in the midlands bank and obviously sheffield geographically is pretty much in the center of england right mm. so i assumed i was in the midlands oh go on i've well, had this, I've had this like, for, a couple of for about a year right i was I assumed in the midlands <laughs> because it, common sense dictates if the if the if england is south midlands and north right that's that's, that's a third each whereas yeah. in actual fact like three quarters of england is the north apparently but yeah for the first year i was in sheffield thinking i was in the midlands you got black country as well yeah, don't confuse me. It's, uh, it confuses me. We, are, I, uh, we had a guy on, uh, and his name's uh, Julian Woodall, superb guy, and he said black country. Oh, I don't. I didn't think I'd ever heard the bloody two. I thought he'd made it up. Yeah, I'm from from black country. Yeah. What the fuck is that? So between the Midlands mm-hmm. and the North, yeah, you've got the black country. As I, in, <laughs> I, I thought, I thought the black country was like round Birmingham, kind of way. I'm not even going to speculate. Right. It sends me around. It sends me around well, the bend. Th- th- and he'd be cursing now. Listen to this. He'd be cursing. It's the thought that people from like <laughs> East Anglia, like Norfolk, yeah, sound suspiciously like people from like you know Somerset. It's a bit bizarre, isn't it? Yeah, you're right there. Yeah, you're right. It's it's the coastal, the coast dwellings, probably like either Ooh. aliens. Yeah, webbed yeah. feet. Yeah, the, 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 too much. We're, of- we've just lost about <laughs> half. <laughs> yeah, it's a half we wanted to lose. <laughs> How did you? Uh, did you get uh, college quals then before you went to uni? How did you go at seventeen? Uh, well, because so in Scotland you get you do hires <laughs> rather than A levels, and you do them in you can do them in one year rather than two years, but more, like so, sixth form. Yeah, so right. basically, I, I I I banged them all out in a year to get mm. just to get out early because uh, yeah. So rather than t- taking two years to get my A level equivalents, uh, you, you could if you wanted to put your head down uh, do them in a year. So I bang bang five out a year, and then which is great because you got uni at seventeen, mm. literally just on seventeen. Everyone assumes you're eighteen because an English university. So you know you don't get oh, checked yeah. for like so I at seventeen. I was. You know, and this is this was in Sheffield. The Sheffield is slightly the poorer brother compared to like Manchester, Liverpool, and, and Leeds at the time. But this is the time of like Manchester scene. You know, you cream, of course, up and, yeah, and all the hacienda, all that sort of stuff was happening. Happy Mondays, yeah, yeah, yeah. They were Sheffield, weren't they? They Manchester. No, they were Manchester. And the hacienda club in Manchester, and then and then like so Sheffield, like the music place, the music factory. But that big scene that was kind of happening. I see, Sheffield was kind of of the four places that that, that was all happening. Was mm. uh, but it was. Uh, I don't think I, I obviously didn't at the time didn't appreciate what was going really on, but um, yeah, it was a big thing back then. Um, Can we go back to the lions a minute? Yes. So yes, wildlets. <laughs> you got the wildlife of Sheffield. Yeah, <laughs> you got the wildlife <laughs> of Africa. The, so what are you saying with the lions that mm. they are pack animals, whereas the, the rest of the big felines aren't? Yeah, basically. So what, why is that then? Well, 
You have to think yeah. back of this dissertation. God, like, dredge your back up. Basically, it's all to do with. Uh, well, I mean, this, 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 this is all, it's all theoretically, but the pressures, the, the pressures, that if you imagine the savannah is a much harder place to hunt uh, as a sol solitary animal than, um, than say, the jungles, because you can't use ambush attacks and that sort of stuff. So, at some, at some point, I mean, so that's why even the cheetahs on the, on the savannahs, although they, they might only work in twos, you know, will, will often work in, in brother pairs. Um, so, the kind of success rate, if you are, if you're if every say five hunts, you're getting one big kill, but you've got more mouths to feed. Well, that's better than only one mouth to feed, but you may be only getting one kill out of twenty hunts. So it all comes out of mass at the end. Mm -hmm. really, the, the, way, the, I mean, the way that sort of the genetics work in evolution, uh, in, in natural selection, it's pretty, it's pretty straightforward. If if something makes you better, then you'll keep using it. You'll do better. You'll breed more, and therefore that thing that makes you better will be passed on to more and more of your kids. If you're doing something that makes you worse, you're going to die sooner, make less kids, and therefore that's less likely to be passed on. That's basically how it works. Do you, do, do you only get lions in the in the savanna? You don't get them in the jungle, do you? No. That's the other thing. It's have my tactical perspective. Yeah. It's much harder to hide away from things in the savannah and pounce, on them, pounce out of them in short short range. Yeah, yeah. you got to chase stuff down the savannah. Yeah. I mean, they'll creep up as much as they can, but again, actually, the, the other, other side is that the, the, the prey, prey are evolving as well to try and... It's a bit of an arms race. So, you know, that's why your zebras <coughs> and your wildebeest will, will be in big packs as well because they can kind of sit around and there's, but there's lots of pairs of eyes, you know, something like every bloke on sentry all looking all the time like being mega paranoid. Um so yeah, that's that's when I did my just it's, it's, it's coming massively handy uh, in my career. How so? No, it's not until now. It's the first time <laughs> I was thinking then, years. diving, skydiving. <laughs> well, uh, so did you join up in the end? We got we got past your excuse yeah. for not joining the reg uni yeah. Sheffield. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Sorry, <laughs> we were so close. Who did you who did you join up with? Well, actually, I started in the Marines. I started the Royal Marines. Did you really? Yeah, and then I, in in basic in training at Limston, I. Uh, injured my back pretty badly a lot, lot worse than I thought at the time so um, I got MD'd from there but I managed to swing it that they <coughs> MD'd me I kind of it was like is it P2 pucks like P2 physically unsuitable for commander training service but it meant I was still theoretically on fit to join the yeah the, well other stuff anyway but I wasn't I mean I shouldn't be looking back now I shouldn't be I was a bit messed I was, I was got like part I was getting like temporary paralysis in my left leg and all that sort of stuff and I mean back's still bad now that's one of the reasons people go I'll, you, I'll look after myself because actually if I don't train my back's in clip you know mm. um, so I came up there and I was like well so I got myself fit a contact at, in the in the Royal Engineers and he was like mate you know we've got commanders paras bomb disposal and divers as well and I was like that, that kind of army diving quite quite interested me so I spent about nine months in the outside basically get myself fit i get my head together you know you got i gone from you know young guy royal marines fucking on the green beret um massively physically active to being massively physically unactive and having the carpet pulled right from you under you mm -hmm. under you and you know <clears> never <throat> not gonna be a royal marine and again at the time you never realize it with a power of hindsight you know i was an angry young man i was angry enough before I, you know before that happened but you know i was yeah, I wasn't. I wasn't a pleasant person to be around. Why is that? What was pissing you off? <laughs> <laughs> Scotland, PSD, don't get a tan. 
not a cowboy. <laughs> yeah, not the ma- major. That's been the major thing. I wish I hadn't brought that up now. See, I'm I'm gonna start. I'm gonna start messing the place up. Not being a cowboy. In my head, I'm a cowboy. I we got, <laughs> I had a I had a friend uh, in three part and um, uh, his name I'm not in fact yeah well well caught myself well there, I'm not gonna say his name <laughs> but he uh, he ended up he's been mental uh, I think he's still in and he ended up going this years ago he ended up going back and forth to the states to a ranch to go and learn to to go and learn to be a cowboy he was paying thousands he probably is still paying thousands and he's getting certificates and awards and lassoing he'd be in his bunk in the block and he'd be, be practicing lassoing mental mate yeah I mean because I've I think he's a virgin I've been a couple of like big rodeos in the states in Canada and the cowboys there right the actual cowboys who 10 months of the year just <coughs> held cattle from a horse mm. and 2 months of the year you know basically get kicked to shit by massive bulls I'll, I'll guarantee you, mate, they haven't got one piece of paper between them. <laughs> Mind you, you see in the back of some of those bulls, mate, and they must have they've got balls like granite blocks. Yeah. Jesus yeah. Christ. Yeah. Um, right, so you, engin- so you went to the engineers then? You went yeah. in, in as an officer? Yeah, yeah. Do more of this coffee? Go on then. I quite apt, actually. Green beret coffee. Look at that. For, you, you, For the black yeah, you, you pour it. I'll, I'll fucking spill it over here. We'll electrocute ourselves. Um, so engineers as an officer yeah how does it work because I know Sanders works as a trade when you uh, when you go in like infantry you go in and do your fucking is it, is it, is it the same in, in Sanders for everyone of you going, depending on what, regardless of what trade you're going into yeah and then you, do you do your continue tra- continuation trade training if you like when you get to unit or what I don't know right so, Sanders wise I've no idea because I've only been there twice once was my for my brother's graduation ball and once was an orienteering event because I was at Limston they said I could just not do Sanders so yeah never went to Sanders <laughs> so when, when this orienteering thing it was me and uh, it was a lot of like seniors and, and full crews and that representing with your regiments at the time and they were like well you are you know you, this is fine you'll just piss it because you don't even need a map and compass you only split it back your hand I was like I've only been once before it's about <clears> 10 years ago and I was drunk <laughs> I don't I don't know what anything is so you commissioned them when you left um, yeah uh, uh, well actually in the Marines you, you commissioned from day one so the, in the army you don't get your commission until you leave sand dust right but in the Marines the day you start you're commissioned off to the Royal oh, Marines oh interesting um, yeah it's done slightly I mean you could argue that well, yeah, I mean, the, the standard in the Royal Marines is much, much higher. Yeah. That's that. But it's not because necessarily they're better, it's because they've got much smaller numbers, like 20 guys in my intake. And at Sandus, it's like 400 people in the intake. And if you take the top, uh. the top 20 people from a Sandus intake <clears throat> and put them next to the, the 20 guys in the Royal Marines, they'll be in a par. I mean, mm-hmm. even arguably better. But, um, yeah, if, if, you, if you only need to take 20 people in one intake, then you can afford to obviously be fairly picky. Did um, you get to choose what you went into in the engineers? What discipline you're into? Uh, well, you pretty, you pretty start pretty general, um, and then you can sort of volunteer for stuff. But there's not always the slots. Like every, you know, obviously everybody wants nine squadron, you know, or five nine, you know, the para and the commando units, um, or EOD. Um, and it was EOD I was after. Well, actually, what what's go? Well, actually, I ended up spending most of my time in the unit I wanted to go to, which was four nine EOD. So four nine was the bomb disposal uh, and high risk search unit that supported the airborne. And the commando and the SF um, units. Oh. So we'd uh, we'd uh, we'd three troops uh, in the in the squadron. You had one which were um, 
you know, maroon lids, one green lids, and then the last treat was uh, was sporting pool. Actually, we were, we were attached to, um, which is brilliant because you just got to do all the. I mean, most of the guys, to be honest, were you know, were double lidded, so most of the guys had, had, had their wings and their daggers. Mm. Um, probably the fittest unit because you had such rivalry between the you know the commandos and the partners. So come like squadron BFT. It was just, it was worse because so everything's relative. So people say, oh, are you fit? You're well, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm average fitness. Your average fitness is a squadron which, which is like half commanders and half pilots, and yeah. everybody's trying to beat everybody else. You're like super fit. I went and did it. I did, uh, I did selection and was like, oh, I don't know about this. I'm, I'm fit enough to do this. Yeah. Piece of piss. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'd just, I'd left the unit where it was like, like, you know, half the squadron's running six minute BFTs. Like oh, I'm really bad. I'm like you know seven and a half minute BFT. I'm really bad. Mm. And then you you know you go into a normal unit and you're like Jesus Christ, this is all right. Um, so yeah, do bomb do and I volunteer for bombs. I really want to go bomb disposal because at the time um, that was the most operationally active unit in the British forces. It even overtook I think Hereford and Pool. What year are we talking now? This would have been <coughs> sort of like t- two thousand to two thousand and four five. You know, with the stuff going on, the main clearance and that stuff in, in Bosnia and Kosovo, mm. and then you had like you know, Afghan bit kick off in 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 in, uh, in Iraq, and bits to be said in like Syria only in Kenya, and still bits and pieces in Ireland, not that much. And the RLC took took care of the IED stuff, um, but but we also had uh, obligations to the Martin Cat terrorist unit. Um, so when I was at uh, four nine, along with the normal bits and bobs that you do. I was in charge of the airborne bomb disposal team. Uh, awesome, jumping out of heli- uh, black planes with because P four weighs a ton, and I'm five eight. And the time I seen a little bit of boxing, so I think I was about seventy two kilos. So you know, five eight, seventy two kilos. It's like mm. right, you carry this enormous bergen. Yeah, Corporal Cable, who you know, who, who's like six foot four and built like you know the Hulk. Uh, right, well, you better just take this patrol sack with some fucking mess tins in it and that'll do you yeah um that's the night oh yeah well that that look how small he is that kit looks massive on him because he's got loads of kit yeah, that's why it is massive on him <laughs> yeah. i think uh, well it's the all up weight of of a. Uh, I think the, the total weight you can have isn't it, it's 300 350 pounds i think it was when it under the new shoes yeah. uh, well they got new shoes now again are they i think 350 pounds so if you weigh if you were like 150 pound piss sweat through yeah you, there's 200 pounds with a kit you can have. That's yeah. 60 pounds of that is your shoot. So then there's 100, 100, 140 pounds, and then you're gonna try and jump, I, I jump mean, out of a plane. Well, that's, that's not that. The, the harvest <laughs> tabbing off the DZ at the end. Yeah. Just with, with three times your <laughs> body weight on. It pays to be like yeah. a unit. Yeah, it's <laughs> massive. <laughs> yes, yeah. I, yeah. I can never understand it. Like, yeah, we'll get the, the strongest blokes, the biggest strongest blokes, to carry almost nothing. Yeah. And the little blokes <clears throat> can carry. Yeah, there's the mortar base paint, some extra ammo, and there's yeah. some batteries for you. Yeah. There's a plastic explosive to take with you as well, because yeah. that weighs a ton. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I did that. I, I ran the the, the regiment of the well, the army's underwater bomb disposal team because there's one team based at a three three uh, other wars. I mean, I think there was, if it's if there's more than one team now, but there was was one army because we, we took care of everything from the high water mark above. So the navy's responsibility was high water mark and below. What's you, the high water mark? But the high tide mark. Oh, okay, right. Yes, uh, and so we basically did lakes and rivers and sewers, um, which is nice. Um, and then uh, the high risk search team that was attached to the Martin Terrorist Unit, i.e., the boys at a pool, which was either I think M Squadron and then X Squadron, um, which was 
I have to say, brilliant. It's it's why you join the army. Like, <laughs> on exercise, we were like, you know, you're, you're arms sailing out of out of Chinooks or, or Sea Kings in the middle of the night in the North Sea onto onto oil rigs or onto ships. You got your black kit on. I mean, you're dressed like an action man. All your black kit on. You got your 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 pistol side slung. You got your respirator on. Your yeah, it's just it is. You, 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 yeah. It's so cool. You're freezing though. You're freezing. No, no, no. What was- yes, you're freezing. Yeah. I, I, I was talking to a guy um, who's Hereford. Years ago, I was talking to him, and he was. Uh, oh God, I can't. What was. Anyway, he's he was he was. It's not about a, a fucking like exercise. It wasn't. It was an exercise. And he, he's telling me about coming out of the coming out of the ocean. He was in a dry suit and he was climbing the side of a ship, and and just it went pear shaped. His mate fell in and and nearly drown all this and all I was thinking was all that side fucking freezing <laughs> you the somewhere no way you don't want to do side I go no, no. Does not, it doesn't appear sorry doesn't appear we wearing a black and all it does but warm and dry stick me in Afghan and do it I reckon the exact opposite is the problem because we so we we never deployed from the sea the SB lads did that we went out of helicopters we fast dropped in so you got like your warm kit on your frizz suit a bit your dry suit at the top of that so you've got a big rubber suit on so by the time you hit the deck, you're then running around inside the you know, you get into the oil rig or the or the, or the ship. You're mm. running around like a maniac. Within like ten minutes, you are piss wrapped in sweat. That's acceptable. I'll accept, I, well, yeah, I, I, well, I, I, I imagine we get resi on as well. You know, when they call Christ. me up and say, "Hugh, we need you come and do it," I'll be like, "Any right. water? Are we going to do what Andy Talbot said?" Oh, Andy, sort it out. Yeah, I mean, that's fine. <laughs> so uh, yeah, went went bomber disposal, uh, which I loved. I mean, it was. I mean, the course is a couple of months long. And it's got a, it, it had, and I presume it still does a massively high failure rate, uh, and kind of rightly so because when it comes to test week, they pile on the stress to try and make it as realistic as possible. So it's, <coughs> it is you know hugely stressful. It's, all electronics, I take it, and stuff like that. No, no, it's it was, it's it's all academic based. It's all very academic. Yeah, yeah. what well, ends up suppose this how psychology, how you how you plan the thing out, and how you you know you don't need to be super super intelligent to do it, but you have to be able to cope with the, the strain and stresses and get everything right because. You you can't really make any mistakes. Was it a course to plan a, a bomb disposal operation or actually def- defuse the bomb? Well, the full thing. So, uh, in a bomb disposal operation, you know, uh, like for example, in Iraq, you know, you get um, we'll get a call through. In fact, when I was out there, I was so I was the SO three, so I I got the call from from the brigade HQ <coughs> saying some lads on the grounds have reported a, an ID on on this route, blah blah blah. Um, you go cool. Okay, can can that can they put a cordon in? Yeah, yes. You might have a squadron. I've, I've got a company of guys to put a big cordon around that area. Uh, um, and then the 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 BDO, the bomb bomb disposal officer guy rocks up. Now that's going to be either a sergeant or a staff sergeant, yeah, or a lieutenant or a captain, a junior captain, right? So it's a junior officer or a or a senior NCO, right? You know, just staffy or or or, uh, or stripy. That's it. That's the only scenario you've got. But you rock up to that the the instant control point that you know, the the it's a BDO. You are you are the law. So you will put up a note. You'll fall. You'll call up the the like the air marshal for the brigade and say, right, I want a no fly zone over this whole area. You'll liaise with the company commander, a major, and go right, sir. I want I want you meant to do this 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 and this. Blah blah. You'll then get your own team and you'll you'll brief them. Right, I want you to get this kit ready. This kit ready, and then you walk down to the device on your own. So it's a surprising amount of, I think, pressure and responsibility mm. to put on, you know, somebody who <coughs> could be a, like a brand new sergeant. I mean, promoted last week, you know what I mean? Well, I mean, not quite last week, but, you know, in the last six months, he could have been promoted to sergeant. And suddenly he's telling 
you know half colonels and, uh, and and majors what to do so the course is um was pretty exacting but what it means is that the, at the regiment at the time when i, when I was there uh 3-3 the caliber of 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 people there i mean at all ranks all the way up from pretty much from sort of last jack all the way up uh was was top top notch mm. you know and they had to be kind of thinking man soldiers you know they had to be uh because it's it, it's kind of it's like it's slightly more of an academic discipline than 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 uh than so a lot of the normal sort of stuff we do mm. but um the other thing was that it was a lot it had a bit more feel to kind of germany regiment so you know that the regiments in germany i think it's a lot more close-knit because that's all they've got was in the uk come a friday afternoon everyone bomb busts go they go home or they go wherever they want to go but because we were carrying so many pages and so many duties um you know half the regiment would have to stay in camp over the weekend so you know it was just a lot more kind of close-knit kind of family family unit which is quite mm. good Funny, funny you mentioned that the, the guy who had on, but the black, country, uh, the black country guy, Julian, he was he, he was talking about Germany, the same, mm. the same kind of thing, that close knitness. That's interesting. Yeah, <clears throat> we'll have to stick around on standby and all that. How big was the unit altogether? Uh, the RHQ, I think it was it was three field squadrons and then one big big support squadron, and then you'd another like slightly, it was just another sort of squadron, but it was and it was. The guy in charge of it was an LE major. I think he might have a couple of W1s or W2s. And then he has civilian staff. But his job was mostly uh, clearance of training areas. Okay. So there was kind of like five squadrons, but one was kind of almost a civilian squadron. And then one support and three field, yeah. But that, I mean, it's all changed now. I think there's, there's now two full regiments. Uh, I think 101 became a, which was a TA unit. It's now full full um regular regiment i mean it had to happen because even when i left in 2006 you know you had guys at you know at, at 16 brigade given the old yeah i'm on airborne task force page of 48 hours notice to move we were like mate anything over fucking 24 hours at 33 doesn't count as a duty <laughs> you know and at one point i was carrying three pages i had a half hour notice to move for up midway that's the um the response to if somebody digs up a world war ii bomb in london or whatever I was kind of the Martin Counterterrorism page, which was three hours notice to move, and then I was on the ABF, mm. but the like, four ABF, so which was twenty four hours notice to move, and the seal at the time was basically like, let's just hope we don't all go off. Uh, <laughs> but even when I was when I was when I was just on the ABF and the and the um, the because I was on the MCT page, the Martin <coughs> Counterterrorist page for pretty much so three hours notice to move for pretty much two years nonstop, um, so I could go to Cambridge and just into london and the ceo was like look you know you go to london it's fine if the call goes out i'll send my car and driver for you because he's kind of like, i need to cut you a bit of slack because i think we would three teams and then me and the idea was that the teams would do one week on two weeks off but because there's no one else qualified to to um cover the pager well, there's one other guy actually who i took over from but he was in a different squadron mm-hmm. so he did a, do i think a, a couple of weeks for me at one point just so i could go and leave <laughs> Not that I need to leave. Single how, bloke didn't care. How long were you there for? Uh, three years, three, four years. Three years, yeah. What happened after that? Mm. Um, oh, what did you deploy to with them, actually? Iraq. Iraq, yeah. yeah. Um, Kosovo, Bosnia. I nipped back and forth to Northern Ireland, but literally like a couple of weeks. <coughs> um, yeah, and that was it. I was down to Falklands, but that, was, that wasn't with the UAD. And that was the hardest tour. 
Why is that? Because it was fucking boring. What, did you, what, what were you doing there? <laughs> nothing. What? what? <laughs> Literally nothing. <laughs> I went out there for four months. I did, I did only three. And I, 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 I honestly, you know, people ask me about, about, you know, mental health and all that sort of stuff. And I was like, the closest I've ever come to getting PTSD was fucking the focus from boredom. What was the task? I wasn't doing anything. I was, we were doing some trade stuff out there. I actually, was... With the bomb disposal unit? No, no, no. no. Just doing engineers. Ah. Um, and um, the we got off the plane at Mount Pleasant and there was a, 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 a chief petty officer from the Navy who was kind of meeting issues about the Greek stuff. And he basically said, right, you'll either leave here the fittest you've ever been in your life or an alcoholic because there is a bar and a gym and that is it. And he's right. What was worse is that I remember like rum was seven pence a shot. Jesus Christ. So you could buy half a pint of rum for like 50p and a can of Coke for 50p and just you could have a pint of rum and Coke, half yeah, and half, for like okay. a quid. You know, and I'm like, I'm not surprised you've got a massive alcoholism problem. Mm. This was this was kind of early 90s. You've got a massive alcohol problem because you're selling rum at like, I think the most expensive drink in the whole of the bar in, in Mount Pleasant was... Uh, some co- a cognac for like forty eight pence a shot or something. Like that. I mean, you know, yeah. Like yeah. <coughs> we, um, we were <laughs> we went out there for four months as the Rulement Infantry Company, <laughs> and uh, it was one of those times where you, you know, as it, well, I don't know if you would have experienced it actually. Um, with with this, you have a cycle. Well, there's a cycle of the quality of your commanders and the command structure <laughs> as you go through, isn't it? And depending where you are in the command structure, it depends how much it impacts you. And I was a Tom at the time. And uh, there was three platoon, there was, we went out as a company. No, it was a, yeah, it was a company went out there, but it was a platoon of three power, a platoon of two power, a platoon of one power. And um, all the platoon sergeants were all uh, in competition with each other. All the platoon commanders were in competition with each other. And in competition means who can do the most training and thrash the blokes the most and if we the blokes can fucking thrash <laughs> and we were on a cycle it was it was good we, it was just like a three-week cycle we'd do a week of patrols the year before th- is when the they discovered an argentine v- equivalent of sbs uh i think it's a rigid rigid radar on the west falkland on one of the beaches yeah yeah, and it was a farmer discovered. It. It's like, what the fuck is this? Like, well, an old one, or like, no, or like, no, fucking right. new. Yeah, yeah. So what yeah, was this? Uh, two thousand and two, we went. So it would have been two thousand, two thousand and one. Well, the thing is, I, yeah. I think I'm right in saying that the the Argentina have never rescinded their claim on the no, on no, the Malvinas. So effectively, because that's why it still counts as an operational tour. Yeah, you don't get a medal for it, but it's yeah. still counts as an operational tour. Like an Argentine family. <laughs> it is honestly we don't bring up we don't bring up the fuck thing. Oh, I do because I, I wind I, I got a cousin I wind her right it's, don't mention the war it's hideous it's hideous we got a white conversation about it mate fierce uh, one of my cousins Ilu and <clears throat> she's in Scotland for right, a minute working and uh, super intelligent super intelligent lady super fucking ferocious you know she's got Irish genes as well and um, we were I went to visit her in Poland. She was in Poland in uni. It's a couple of years back. And then I made the mistake of just bringing it up. In I always bring it up. Yeah, yeah. I always bring it up. Well, yeah, Tell me yeah. If she's like winning an argument, which she always does, I'd just go, who's the Falcon send dickhead? Yeah. Who's going? <laughs> and then uh, on that same night, I ended up talking to, uh, she was she got a bit intoxicated. I was a bit intoxicated. And there's, there's this, there's a, a bloke walked to the bar. I didn't look Polish. 
and uh, they'd been sp- and he'd speak in America and I went to the bar and I was like what's happening it turned out he's a US soldier and I go back she's where the fuck are you talking to him I said what why the fuck are you talking to America I said he's a US soldier don't talk to fucking Americans there was all of them fucking hate Americans <laughs> like fuck yeah crazy <laughs> mate it's crazy they weren't involved we, we beat you on our own <laughs> you know it's all right, love. Calm down. They don't they hold the whole grudges. They hold grudges. Right? Um, <laughs> so you, so you found this. Yeah. Radar. So no, we didn't find it. Right. The year before you we went out on okay. that tour, this had been discovered. So when we went out there, a week of this, a week of that three rotation was patrols, which I think was part of that Roman infantry company thing anyway. But it's sort of a bit heightened, when, and we would for seven days we'd go on patrol around the island on on Shanks's pony. It was between three, four, five, six days depending on where we were going and uh and then we do a week of that we come back in we'd have about 14 hours to ourselves literally 12 to 14 hours sort your kit out go smash beers and you you get you get into one of the bars in mount pleasant Mm -hmm. airfield (laughs) at about you know 10 no about seven o'clock they shut it off 10 so you smash and then uh the next week would be a guard rotation on Mia Harbour, for example, or something, just doing, just stagging on. And then again, you come back in, you have about 12, 14 hours to yourself. And then the following week, we'd be on Onion Ranges live firing. So you just got thrashed for three weeks, thrashed. So when you were, when you were drinking, you were fucking, you were fucking yeah. power drinking. But, um, no, it was hideously boring. But when you get, when you got in the lash, it would, yeah, I remember being cheap. I was, I got barred from two of those three pubs in Portsmouth. There's only three pubs there, isn't there? I haven't, I had some. Oh, Port Stanley? Yeah, there's three pubs there. The isn't Globe is one. Got the Globe. Yeah. There's, there's three of them. You got the Globe. I think it barred for anything bad. Just, we just got minging. We, we, we like the first, the other thing was, it was the 20th anniversary of the Falklands. And we were the first uh, deployment of Paris uh, from the, from the parachute regiment yeah, yeah. there since 82. Okay. So we were like gods. They were yeah, loving yeah. it. They were just, oh, fucking hell. And then two weeks later, yeah. they weren't yeah, going to go. they like, get, <laughs> go and get the fuck off this island. <laughs> oh, my God. It was mental. It was mental. How did I get onto that? Oh, yeah, you went about the Falcons, yeah. Yeah, I can understand. It's, it's fucking boring. Mental. It's the only place I've ever been on the planet, right? Now, you, you've probably been there, and then when you've gone to the, uh, you've been to Antarctica, haven't you? No, I've been at the Arctic. The Arctic, right? Like, so it's the only place, Fault Island's the only other place I've been where I didn't, apart from human beings and, 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 and farm animals, there was no other life. No. There was no insects. There was no flies. There was, no sp- there was nothing. There was that's, nothing. That's because it blows like I don't think I even saw any birds. Ah, I saw an eagle or something. A big, Are it was you a sure? massive, it was not an eagle. It was a massive, it was one of these massive birds that must have stopped on the wrong island. It was trying, you know, probably doing some, Transatlantic, Mass- massive, but white, woolly, walked around, <laughs> four legs. Was right? a, yes, <laughs> yeah, that's the one. <laughs> that was fucking huge. Anyway, yeah, didn't say anything. What an ostrich? Just nothing wanted to be there. You, when you were there, do you remember Fixmas? No, Fixmas, Fixmas. Falkland Islands Christmas. Because no, I left before. Like, no, yeah, in July, yeah, they have Falkland Islands Christmas. Right, I'm yeah, in July is weird. I can't remember why. There's a lot of things weird about the Falklands. Yeah, very weird. We, we, very we, weird um, people. Yeah, we had to get a boat somewhere, and the, the boat, like a local guy, <coughs> took us out on this boat. And I swear <coughs> to God, it was Hagrid at uh, Harry Potter. It, you, you literally, all you could see was that it's he'd lot massive, like sort of afro hair, and then huge beard, and he's a, like a giant guy. And all you could see was his eyes. Like his, his beard started just basically his eyelashes, which grew down from there. It's like Jesus Christ. Um, but yeah, that was uh, 
Was there a lady there in Port Stanley? Did you go into Port Stanley? Yeah. Was there a lady there who, if you ever saw her, old, so you went in what, 04 or 05? No, no, I was there in 97. Oh, right, okay. Oh, she, yeah, she'd be younger then. She's probably more active. Dance, she said dance in on a the, circle. In with, a, in, with the penguins? Yeah, probably the same one. Where did you <laughs> so, on. so, no, no. So, we do it to Port Stanley, and the same Chief Petty Officer met us, which kind of gives us a bit of a guide. And uh, there's, there's a patch of grass in front of the, I think it's front of the globe, actually. Anyway, and there's a little kind of, I don't know, four, four foot diamond in a circle that was worn away, it was just muddy. And he said, uh, you'll, uh, he goes, right, remember that look for tonight. And in the globe, there's this woman, and she's just stood in the dance floor. Like, this is like from the, the ward, the door's opening. You know, dance floor's empty, six o'clock in the afternoon, in the evening. She's on, and she's literally stood, and she's dancing, but just literally turning in a, in a, in a circle. The same woman. She was still there five years later. <laughs> well, they go. So during the day, she stands out in the middle of the park and does it, yeah. and then at night, she does it in the, yeah, uh, in the, yeah. yeah she's kind of famous. Yeah, she's, yeah, she's there five years later. She's upgraded to dancing with uh, penguins yeah, when you're well, I remember penguins, but it might you might memory is skewing it. She was definitely out of dancing. She was definitely <laughs> in the globe dancing. We'll add penguins in. The penguins in there as well. Yeah, well, you, can never, you can never. It's the Falklands. You've got to include penguins oh, yeah, somewhere. Yeah. I don't know if I, did exactly. I see any penguins in the Falklands. I don't know if I did. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure there's penguins there. They, they're like, One of those that's like, like famous for it. You know, you used to be able to get your passport stamped with a penguin when you were oh, that's in. right. So, and when you take off on the plane, when we took off on the plane to leave... On the runway, on the on the grass verge on the side, there was a person dressed up as a penguin running alongside the plane as the plane started, obviously, like accelerating, running alongside the plane, flapping the wings, like waving. But I just, are you are you weird. sure about that? This RAF, mate. Are you sure? Yeah, hundred percent. That I mean, was real. That penguin was real. You know, the the the, the untold secrets of the Falklands. There's a, there's a lot of drugs down there. No, no, as well. no, no. I didn't see any of that. Drugs, was it? So so hard. No, I didn't um, no. But they're weird people. They're like a cross between. Um, they like uh, they like a cross between like your most your most backwards Cornish person and your most backwards like Yorkshire farmer mixed and yeah. the accents the same. They just fucking. Bizarre. I sh- I should warn you. I had a quick look at the uh, the HR's kind of audience demographic. One third Yorkshire, it's changed. One third Cornish, <laughs> and one third the Falklands. You've just literally lost every single one of your uh, of your listeners. That was yeah. it. Yeah, it's not a drama. I don't mind losing them. <laughs> Uh, so the Falklands, yeah, it was, um, shite. Yeah. Well, yeah, it was an experience. I mean, you know what? Very few people, but brother, he, he went down, he's still like, when he's still a, a soldier, he went down there as a radio op and he went down to South Georgia for six months. And that was cool. I mean, that was. That's inside the Arctic Circle, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was good. There was, there was like, there was, there was um, there was a, Roger's boat op. There was a couple of signal, signals guys. There's a Remy guy. And I think there was like eight. Royal Marines and that was about it down there and for, for sort of six months he had a great time when, when did you start diving with, with I started diving when I was sort of 12, 14 <clears throat> so oh you didn't learn when you were in the I, th- I assumed no. you'd, you'd learn when you were in the military no. sorry mate so no I, so always as a kid like I always wanted to do the underwater stuff like you know I used to love the old you know all, my action men always had the diving stuff Old Jacques Cousteau and you know Man from Atlantis all that sort of stuff. So <clears throat> when I was twelve, we moved in from the Highlands, moved into Aberdeen, and I thought, right, I'm gonna I'm gonna join the the Aberdeen Dive Club. And back then, your membership for the year was like seven quid. Was as a junior member, and it was fifty pence a week pool for like training fees to train the pool. So and you couldn't actually dive till you were fourteen. So I joined as a snorkeling member. Um, so I had a paper round, which had been like a five a week, and that. 
that's what that's what I'll, how I learned to dive offshore of Aberdeen. People go, oh well, you know, you've got to have money to you know to 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 do that. It's like on a paper round. I was twelve years old, and I was like, right, I want to learn to dive. I'll get a paper round. That's not cost me. Yeah. And then kit, well, I mean, kit's expensive, but because by the time I learned, well, I mean, you know. Masks and fins and snorkels don't cost much. But then I got to 14, and then I got a job in Iceland stacking freezers. But also, <clears throat> folk at the club, I became the set of mascot because my, my parents, my mum didn't, didn't dive for that. So it was just this little kid who rocked up and went, right, I want to let her dive. So that, after a couple of years, people were just like, give me kit, mm. you know. So my first wet, proper, like diving wetsuit was a, a pair of secondhand like, long johns, which didn't fit that well. And actually, it's a woman's jacket. So women gave me her jacket, which obviously balls in all the wrong places. It flushes through. So I'd go diving as a kid and come out literally blue fingernails, blue lips, like borderline hypothermia, having a great time. I was hard. I said, if I started diving now under those conditions, I'd do it once. i like, fuck this. This is rubbish. <laughs> <laughs> Going home. Um, fortunately, I was too stupid to know any better. So, and then, you know, again, even the conditions, like you're diving off the coast of Aberdeen, it's like nil vis and freezing all the time. So, um, you know, my expectations, I was like, this is brilliant. So uh, I started in a pretty pretty rubbish place to go diving. So uh, it was Yeah, I didn't realise that with, uh, I think I was talking to, who was I talking to? I talked to John, John Vickers, and mm. I was talking to um, Freediver, 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 Freediver. Uh, there's loads of them. Which one? Oh, God. Tanya Streeter, uh, William Drawbridge. Uh, the Blue Abyss Connection. Oh, Emma. Emma, Emma Fat. I was I think was talking to her. And I didn't realise the visibility thing when you're diving in the UK and you, you can't no. see for call. Yeah, you can't, <laughs> you can't see anything. Yeah. It's like Yeah, but I, I how here's a question for you, I think yeah. about that. Because funny I came out to diving. I can't if you notice, come out to dive, I've just realised come out to diving when you mentioned South Georgia, which yeah. is freezing. Yeah. <laughs> I thought of diving. Was it on the one show you did the di- you did uh, you were diving? In the Arctic, that was Operation Iceberg. I mean, BBC oh, yeah. Two science thing. Yeah, yeah. How do you how would you keep warm? Uh, well, you wear uh, lots of woolly, basically with like lots of fleecy underclothes, and you got yeah. a dry suit over the top of that. But nothing is there like warming element, is there? Yeah, you can do so. You can get you can get basically electrically heated <clears> suits <throat> and gloves and, and all that stuff, but they're quite a battery pack. They don't last that long, um, and they're massively expensive. Mm. Excuse me, I've got a vest. I've got an electric heated vest that I sometimes use, but most of the times you don't need to. Um, you know, I mean, in the Arctic, so we're diving around this iceberg off off Greenland, and it was because it's salt water, it, it doesn't freeze or, it, you know, it stays water for a lower temperature. So the surface is zero degrees because ah, okay. the salt content, and down at 30 meters, sort of uh, on the side of the iceberg, it was minus two. But we're only doing 45 minute dives, so it's not that bad. We had loads of layers on, then a dry suit. Well, I was wearing like seven mil, mil mitts, wetsuit mitts, a full face mask on. The full face mask means your whole face is dry, and that, that does help a lot. Um, so, yeah, but I mean, that, that's not as bad. The colds have been diving. Uh, last winter, I was out in Finland, cave diving in this, this flooded mine system. So, we're about a kilometre inside the mine. Um, the maximum depth, when we went to sort of 90 metres, like 300 feet. But so it takes a couple of hours to get in and then back out again. And you, when you, you come, it's about two degrees water inside this this sort of cave system. I mean, you, you come out into the bottom of this lake, uh, but because it's fresh water, you get what's called a reverse thermocline. So it's actually you get it's ice on the top. So you're smashing the ice to get in at the start, and then it's zero degrees the, the top to twenty meters. So you're de- you've got to decompress, and it can take a couple of hours to decompress. So you're doing As like, you're coming up, yeah. So you're doing right. four and a half hours in the water. Half of that at two degrees, half of that at zero degrees. Um, 
and then you're smashing the ice to get back out and yeah it's it is unbelievably cold and we're doing that every day for a week what are you in the cave for we were filming this. we're filming um and it was uh it's like, it's like <coughs> next month so a friend of mine i've worked before um who's a finished filmmaker he um he always wanted to make he's got this sort of idea in his head this weird sort of underwater sci-fi shot he wanted to make it's like 10 minutes long so he just but no, no one's paying for it so we all paid our own way well there's a lot of finnish lads a lot of brits went out there uh, and we made this little sort of weird sci-fi 2001 style diving shot which i've still not seen 2001 style oh, yeah it's a I'm bit intrigued. it's a bit well i've not seen it yet but i've got a mate a mate of mine one the one the the, uh, the guys from one of the diving companies who who sort of give it give some kick some dry suits and that sort of stuff um and they've seen it because it was the editor in zurich a diving film festival in zurich uh, last week and he said it's beautiful it's amazing it's a bit like you're tripping out the whole time and you, you think it's not quite you know it's one's quite a surreal thing film because i mean yanni it's finished and they're all a bit Mental, mental things yeah um, <laughs> no, but, um so so that was sort of what's it been released on oh, i think it'll be on the wet on the net i think in november i'm not sure i'm or not sure it's yarn. can I mean, you specify where on the web though no i don't know it's a big place I don't, I don't know. <laughs> on the web I fucking know. right it's gonna be on the web it's gonna be called i just gonna be called dive odyssey um and it'll be uh, dive odyssey. ah there's something that reminds me of something yeah there's a there's a free diving video yeah oh god that's called something Odyssey. I'm mm. doing what? What's the freedom about? It's a uh, crazy. It's I. I'll I'll show you this after. Okay. Because I, I won't do it now. Because <clears throat> it'd be shit listening. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Not for it's, radio. It's uh, it's a it's a diving video. It's a six free diving video. It's a six minutes long, mm. and it's um it's this couple doing it, bloke and a woman. But the woman the woman's filming. Yeah. And it's a, just a, a sequence of this guy free diving, but he's he's riding the. The underwater oh, current, yeah, 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 with yeah. this mental music. Yeah, yeah. What is that called? Um, I know what you mean. Oh, the, the, it's amazing. The guy, I can't stop. What I've watched it. The guy, times. the guy doing it is. Are they, they not? They not? They finish or something like that? I thought that They're, was it's, it's Italian. Well, oh, anyway, yeah, yeah. But I know what you mean. Something. Oh, maybe Italian. Maybe Italian. I know what, what you mean. The hell is it called? I'm sure that's called, some, called something Odyssey as well. I did a free diving thing for um, for like this children's BBC series did last year, and we went to Alaska and we got. We cut two holes in the ice, fifty meters apart, and the idea was I'd jump into one and free dive fifty meters to the next one. How did that go for you? It went all right. <laughs> I called with the water. I was uh, the water was about <laughs> one degree. I was wearing a five mil wetsuit. Uh, I think I read about this. Is really, and then they had a, they had someone there doing physiological tests and that, didn't they? Is this was the one with Chris Chapman or whatever? No, no, Chris Packham. Was, Chris Packham. Uh, that was on Operation Iceberg as well. Oh God, sorry. Man. And then, and actually, we did it again in Cloud Lab for some. I did a free dive into a cave system, and then a surface this air bell <clears throat> so they could take blood samples. Um, but they're all pretty straightforward and easy. This one, what, I mean, I've I've swam further, but in like a swimming pool, like fifty meters. <clears throat> plus, the visibility was basically nil. So to dive down from the hole to try and find a rope at the bottom, follow this rope along, and then at the end of the rope, I knew when the rope ran out, I should just swim straight up to the hole. So psychologically, it was a little bit... And holding your breath is a lot about the psychology of it, you know, and that's why you can do far better in nice, warm waters where you can see a long way than you can when it's nil vis. So 50 metres in freezing cold waters in nil vis was... Uh, you had to go down 50 metres free diving. No, no, I went only down about 5 metres, went a long 50 metres, <coughs> and then back up. So Why didn't they screw the net and put the rope near the surface? Yeah, that's too easy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't mind trying it. I, I don't die, I don't die either. Like, free diving, free diving. But on the surface, 
It was minus 28. Jesus Christ. And what, what was the water, sorry? Only bit, it was one degree. So it was warm, you know, water was one degree, um, but the, because it was fresh water, but the, um, it was minus in Alaska in November, it was minus 28. In fact, I, I did the dive, came out, put my fins down, did a piece of camera, picked the fins up, and one of my fins just snapped in half. <laughs> my, uh, <laughs> good. Moving on. How, how, what's the freezing temperature of salt water then? Well, uh, I think it's supposed to be like minus 1.87. So I say minus oh, okay. 2. My, 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 my computer, my dive computer read minus 2 when I was down in the iceberg. But Glacial just said, oh, well, it, actually, it couldn't be minus 2. It must be minus 8. 1.87 like alright fellas but when I come to do this talk I'll just chat I'll probably just call it too shall I um, but yeah because the salt content it uh, it doesn't freeze that's why you can you know you can have salt water which is below zero but still water there you go bit of science pub quiz trivia for you mm-hmm. I wasn't listening nah uh. <laughs> it's, just, it's just white noise it's literally just white it's something detuneration around here does uh, does uh, does the temperature of the water Affect the 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 gas you need to use. You or not? C- kind of. Um, so the deeper you go, you've got to change what gas you're breathing. So air becomes toxic. Um, Thirty meters. Yeah, usually usually about fifty meters. It kind of depends what you. It's all it's all guesswork. A lot of lot of dive science, hyperbaric science, is so new that people are kind of guessing at it. But normally, <clears throat> don't geek out too much. But we could say that the the partial <laughs> pressure of oxygen, if it's above one point six, is getting dangerous. Which basically means, uh, yeah, about sort of 50, 60 meters, um, you can't breathe air. So if we're doing big dives, like we're diving, we did have dived the Britannic, which is the twin sister of Titanic, a couple of years ago. It's 120 meters down. We, we I used, didn't know it was a twin sister. Yeah, Titanic. yeah, identical, pretty much identical. When did they, they launch at the same time? No, it launched after Titanic had sunk, so it actually made it better. They 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 put in better um, sort of walls to it and, and they, 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 it was a better version of Titanic basically mm. still sank and lots, <laughs> I was going to say yeah <laughs> mind you to be, to be, to be fair though, people go still fucking sank though yeah but uh, it was being used as a hospital ship in World War 1 right. uh, and it made loads of trips back and forth to, to, to the, the, basically the, the eastern part of the Med like picking up guys in the Crimea uh. and things like that and it hit a U-boat laid uh, mine sea mine so people go, oh, it's still fucking sunk. You go, yeah, but it sunk because it hit a, an object specifically designed to sink warships, and it was effectively a cruise liner. So, mm. you know, um, and everyone got off alive. Yeah. yeah. 16 people died, but that's because everyone got off alive. Here's what happened. So the ship was sinking, and they launched two lifeboats before <laughs> the captain had said, launch the lifeboats. So he hadn't turned off the props. So as the ship, because it went down nose first, they launched the lifeboats at the back end and they got sucked into the prop and chopped up. Yeah. Um, And then he basically, he said, right, it's not going to work. Because he didn't know a clue. He hit stop and then said, launch the lifeboats. But yeah, everyone got off alive because it was daytime. The water was warm because you're in the, you know, I think it's like the Aegean, just off Greece. Uh, and there was loads of ships in the area, so people were in the water for a couple of hours, and the water was like you know twenty six, twenty seven degrees. How can we diving down to that then? Uh, well, because f- it was a hundred years since it sank. Uh, it sunk in nineteen sixteen. So in two thousand sixteen, we did a BBC special on the Britannic, you know, Titanic's twin sister, and all that sort of stuff. So um, yeah, they they needed somebody who could a presenter who could dive to one hundred twenty meters, which is a list of one idiot. Uh, 
But uh, yeah, that was cool. So yeah, we're using what I tend to dive with nowadays is uh, is a rebreather. So mm-hmm. it's the same sort of technology that they use on on spacewalks. It's just you re- recycle one breath the whole time. But what you're breathing has to change because the sort of gas you need to breathe at 120 meters, which is probably we're using like 70 percent helium, four percent oxygen, and well at least 26 percent nitrogen. You can't if you breathe that at the surface, you die. Mm-hmm. But the same token, if you the stuff you can breathe the surface, if you're breathing that at 120 meters, that would kill you. So you have got to keep changing with the sort of the gas mix you're breathing all the way up and down. Uh, what do you mean recycle one breath? Is it no? Does it no? What do you mean recycle yeah. one breath? So there's no bubbles, right? <laughs> so you, you 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 exhale. Yeah, it goes around the tube. It goes into the system. That there's basically stuff that looks like cat litter that absorbs out all the carbon dioxide in your breath. Um. There's a little, tiny little, it's a really small, uh, like scuba diving bottle full of pure oxygen, and it just puts a, a minute amount of oxygen back into that mix, and then it comes around the other side and you breathe it in. So you basically are just breathing the same breath again, and again. So as long as you've got that oxygen still there to revitalize it, it doesn't degrade. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. you know, I've done seven and a half hour dives on my rebreather, and people have done like 12 hour dives. And, and the, the minimize, the, 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 the constraining factor is actually the, the cat litter stuff, the stuff that the, the CO2 absorbent material. Um, once that becomes saturated, you know, it can't absorb anymore, then, you know, you, you're just like breathing in a bag, basically. So mm. you're going you're gonna to get. Is it right? What I, I read about <coughs> the bends um, is that, as, as my understanding of it, is that it's a bit like. It's a bit like uh, getting. What you call it? And developing an allergy, in, in and a bit like in in the case that it can. Act, there's certain things you can do to flipping increase the probability that you're going to get the bends. Yeah. But for other people who could do a just dive and dive and dive and dive, do everything right, I can still develop the bends yeah. for some something. Yeah. It can just happen. It yeah. can just happen. Yeah. Well, I understand why that is. Well, no, no one does yet. Um, so say that hyperbaric medicine, it's all it's all but guesswork at this stage. So there's definitely things that you will do which will. It'll guarantee the bends. If you go 120 meters, for example, on a dive, and then you rock it back to the surface, you're gonna die 100. percent So mm. we did that dive. So on our, on our, if you spend sort of 45 minutes at 120 meters, and this is on rebreathers, which are are better than normal scuba systems for those sort of depths. I think it still took us five hours to get back to the surface. Mm. Um, you know, to decompress. So if you go straight to the surface, you're basically going to fizzle up you need it's, it's to do with nitrogen isn't it it's trying, yeah. trying to get the ex the the reduce the the amount of nitrogen the percentage of nitrogen in your bloodstream as you go yeah so as you we as you get closer to the surface and the pressure becomes less the nitrogen increases in size yeah so if you've got the same amount of 120 meters as a surface and that nitrogen is like a fucking yeah. balloon and you, you're dead you know what the, there's an analogy and it's, it's not even an analogy it's, it works the physics is exactly the same right it's a coke mm-hmm. bottle your body's a coke <laughs> bottle so you at depth 120 meters you're under 13 times atmospheric pressure. So imagine the, the pressure's pushing the gas into your bloodstream, right? So just like in a, you look at a bottle of Coke, you can't really see many bubbles in there, right? Because it's all, all the all this sort of gas is 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 hidden. It's all in into the liquid, yeah. right? So you shake that fucking bottle up, right? That's like you go and diving. You can either open the top really slowly and let the gas out of solutions. The gas, the bubble, the, the gas comes out of the of the liquid. In this case, coke, nice and slowly, and it's okay. Or you can just ram the top off in a oneer, mm. and it fucking explodes. That's exactly what's happening your body. You know, the, the, the because your body is basically a big bag of liquid. I think we're solid, mostly just liquid. Um, 
So that gas is, is forced into your bloodstream and your tissues, or as the wet tissues. You can either let it come out in, in slowly as you rise to the surface, or you can rock it to the surface, and basically you're going to fizz up. And mm. that's, what the, that's, what the, that's what the bends are. The bends are, it's basically bubbles forming in your tissues, in your, in your bloodstream, and in your joints, or in your skin, you can be rashes, or in your brain or spine and that's the ones that are the worst that's what's going to yeah. kill you you know if you if you get a, a, bu a bubble in your in your self central mm. nervous system but yeah the bends effectively is bubbles forming in your body it's a cool ball uh, i'm glad i half i'm glad i half knew it <laughs> um how did you end up in, in media tv and t well um, tv you didn't do any radio do you uh not not till now um <laughs> but, uh, no have i done any radio uh no no um so I left forces, uh, did the usual stuff, you know, worked on the circuit for a couple of years. Oh, uh, did you? Yeah, yeah. Oh, I didn't realise. Yeah, I did. Was for, I did, I did, a lot, did a lot of surveillance work, actually. Mm -hmm. um, so really I enjoyed surveillance work more because it was more usually like we'd like six, ten week jobs. Um, the UK based? Those were UK based. Yeah. Those were like um, kind of against organized crime stuff yeah. it was mega interesting i was usually too i seen it so i was writing on a which quite like so i was usually i was usually the bloke because i was the only ex-officer so there's a lot of uh little eyes and i was like well i'll 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 do the writing then that was usually my job that's why you said it was too i see they're like uh none of us we all want to go to the end of the day we all went to the bar so you have the laptop and write the reports, the reports up. Yeah. but i quite liked it because it meant that you know the, the teams would be out and they'd bring back all the information so i'd collate all the information to write the report so actually i had a bit i had a really good handle what was going on i found it very very interesting um and then i spent a couple of years working for crg oh, yeah. out in pakistan and in, in west africa um but the same that was kind of to fund that was never a long-term plan it was just to sort of pay the mortgage and you know fund my own projects and my own sort of expeditions and that sort of stuff so what i want to do was try and make a living from you know let's put the climbing and, and the skydiving and that but, but what i did best was the diving so it was cave diving exploration and, and deep diving stuff and um Obviously figured, well, you know, Ronald Fiennes does it. How, how hard can it be? It turns out it's bloody hard. And when I first started, I realised that people will not pay you to go and have adventures or go and do expeditions and exploration projects, but they will pay you to communicate afterwards, whether it be, you know, write for magazines, taking pictures, making films, doing talks or whatever. So, um, so when I stopped the old circuit stuff, um, and I had a lay in the sand, I was, like, <coughs> I was always going to go, right, I need to get this much money to put a deposit down the house in Bristol. Um, where my missus will put a decent deposit down that'll kind of set us up at least then we've got a sort of, you know, fixed point to move forward from because I knew there would never be much money in, in this sort of stuff that I do so um, I need to make sure I was in a position to keep my, my you know, daily living costs down so yeah I got that, got that lay in the sand and just pop smoke um, and then I was doing a bit of like uh, you know out, outdoor you know adventure training stuff so I was, I was taking people because I was a climbing guy climbing stuff and, and mountain guys so I was taking people walking and, and, and you know and, and kayaking and climbing and that sort of stuff and I was doing a bit of commercial diving as well and then I started doing safety work for, for TV mostly the BBC guys out of the Bristol mm -hmm. so you know dive supervisor safety diver doing a bit of climbing safety for them and at the same time I started writing for the diving mags I guess I've done. I've done like I do kayaking and climbing outdoor, but obviously diving was what was best at. So I kind of pursued that at the start. And that was back in the days when, you know, uh, you, there was still money in magazines. You still got paid. Yeah. You can still make a little bit, but there's very little money within print media now. You know, that I'm still writing for some of the magazines, but you know, like a quarter of what I used to get for the same stuff, just because they don't have the money, because you know the internet's taken no, off. So no, yeah, I was doing that, and off the back of that, I started getting a bit of a sponsorship. 
N- never money, just but free kit. But it was free kit I needed, like dry suits, wetsuits, you know, dive gear. So it's so it saving me money. Um, and then got asked to speak at some shows, you know, some, some dive shows, some out, outdoor sports shows, adventure shows, mm. that sort of stuff. Um, and then I found there, I thought actually sometimes getting little clips during these talks would be nice because it would kind of show a bit of action. It would give me a rest from, and the audience a rest from me, you know, give me a minute to kind of just look at my notes or whatever, take a drink of water. And um, that developed into making little short films for film festivals. Because just my woman, I had no clue what I was doing. But I was doing like a, things like a, a cave diving project in Scotland that I did on my own. So solo cave diving. So I was filming it all myself. Um, and that got picked up as a five-minute short for the BBC. And then, what were you doing with it? Just, just head-mounted cameras and stuff like that? Or arm-mounted cameras and shit like that? Yeah, no, well, I'd, for that one, what I was doing was I'd like I'd crawl in some horrible little space, put the camera on a tripod facing me, crawl back out, and then crawl back in again to get me, like the shot of me crawling. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, so I did the cave like about four times just to get the shot of me doing it once. Or, yeah, sometimes you'd be the little camera in front of you or, like, say, handheld. Um, that was, like, 2010. Um, Pre-GoPro. Pre-GoPro. Oh, it was, yeah, yeah. It was yeah, pre- eight it was, years ago. It was pre- Jesus Christ. Yeah, four, four GoPro. It was a tripod, mate. If you head-mounted camera there, it would be like a brick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Film real thirty five mil. Um, so I did that, f- and then uh, where it all kicked off was um, folk I knew at the, the BBC said, "Oh, they're looking for ideas for Coast. This this be this thing called Coast. We remember it." Um, and they'd been around the UK coast, like I think it was Series Seven they were on now. So desperate for ideas. I was like, oh, "I've got some ideas." So I wrote to them and said, oh, I've got some ideas, you know, if, you, if you're going to go cave diving or deep diving or, or caving or, ca- or you know, climbing, there's masses of the British coastline that, that like no one's explored. So either I can take, if it's, if it's climbing or caving, I could take your presenter there or if it's like deep cave stuff, I could go and do it with a camera, film it, come back and give it to you. So um, they'd looked at my website and obviously seen some of the films of me, but bear in mind, I made these films myself. So they were kind of, featured me because there's no one else there to feature you know what I mean and uh, they it turns out they thought I was vying for a presenter's job which I I mean I'm not saying what but I I figured if that would be like you know five ten years down the line you've got to get you do these steps they said oh would you would you be prepared to present TV that wasn't kind of as extreme and literally in my head it was like fucking what (laughs) wait wait wait, what but obviously you know Game face, so I was like, well, yes, I'd consider it. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, they said, uh, so I would like you to send you to the Isla Lewis to do a piece on, on shepherding. Where's that? Where's Isla Lewis? Uh, Outer Hebrides. Fucking places everywhere, isn't there? Go on, <laughs> 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 Squan, on shepherding, yeah. Uh, it, so, um, yeah, so that me up there. Now, it was a one off thing, and that was it, right? That was my, my one gig, that was it. But luckily, it was a near disaster. But I had no idea because I had no point of reference, right? It was so, no diving or anything, though. No, no, no. It was literally like just shepherding. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I know. I know. I was like, so on this little island. So um, the natives are a bit restless, and uh, also this 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 crew come up from 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 England, you know. And oh, the locals were like, oh, we're not we're not speaking to you. So I became the kind of go between between the crew and the and the shepherds because at least I was from like the right part of you know the Arctic Circle, and um, <laughs> the. Uh, so, so the, 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 the long story short, the caramel was really fit to be in the mountains. 
and the researcher had a camera and so it was three cameras and I ended up carrying all of them because like just give it to me we don't, just give it to me because we're, we're, these ships were bounding <laughs> off up this mountain and we were falling behind I was like just give the kit to me fuck's sake and then the mist came down and there was like well we don't know where we're going I was like well where are we meeting these guys we're meeting this little ferry it's partly here I was like right not a drama so I had, my, I had a map and compass on me because I mean you wouldn't deploy in the hills without a map and compass <laughs> I suppose I had an ex-Civy mountain guide anyway had it, but even you know I was like, all right, well, this is dead. It's, it's, a, it's an island with a big ridge running down the middle of it. So it's a piece of paste to navigate. We're on the ridge now. Just walk down the ridge to the end. Hang a right, and we're there. Off we go. Um, finished filming, it's all fine. So got back to Birmingham, where the BBC coast was, was made at the time. And they were like, oh, my God, you know, thanks so much for that, blah, blah, blah. You know, you held together. And I was like, oh, what do you mean? Isn't this how shoots normally go? Like, no, this was, this was you know, as a presenter, you shouldn't be carrying all the equipment and navigating the crew through the through the mountains. So off the back of that, they gave me um, another, uh, I think, four episodes on the series. So I maintain the only reason I'm doing TV at all is because I can carry heavy kit up, <laughs> up a mountain and read a mountain compass. Uh, so yeah, that, that's how I get to tell you. I could, uh, yeah, tab and nav, mate, tab and nav. If, I hear, if we hire this more on it, it'll do all the work. We can hire two less people to yeah. carry the kit. Oh, yeah, that's it. Tell uh, me, the shepherds, though, they were just, we're talking farmers, right? Yeah, yeah. Right, just Isla Lewis, just, but they call themselves shepherds. Do they have dogs? Yeah. Right, got you. Shepherds. shepherds. You don't call them shepherds down here, mate. It's farmers. Fucking shepherds. Yeah, you get, but what? You get shepherds in the Bible. <laughs> <laughs> don't get into that. Fucking Bible. Yeah, well, I mean, the, they herd sheep. So, the shepherds. Farmers. Yeah, well, but... Uh, well, great. What's the difference between a sheep the farmers? The farmers who, at times, they need to shepherd the sheep. Yeah. Actually, I always think about, sh- like, farmers, sheep farmers on... I've never heard shepherds used, no. like, in, uh, outside of, like you say, well, reading it in Latin. Well, think it... Think it. <laughs> <laughs> see it on Christmas cut. I see shepherds <laughs> once a year on Advent calendars, yeah. and that's yeah. it. The... Uh, well, yeah, I don't know. I'm stuck with that. Sorry, then we don't have to get caught up yeah. in it. You're wrong. I'm right. Uh, <laughs> so you, do, you must get shepherds I, in Wales. <laughs> you're farmers who shepherd. No, you don't use. No one uses the word shepherd. No well, one uses the word shepherd. They people don't. Use it. We need to go about the old way. Shepherding and uh, the other word I think people should use more is haversack. 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 Yeah. Fucking hell. Rather than rucksack. There's people who've never heard that word. Haversack. People never explain haversack for the, the uneducated. It's a bargain. What? Haversack, isn't it? Haversack's a, just a. It's a no, no, no. What? No. Right, so the, I know the word haversack is from the military. Yeah. And you get on you get on the range, yeah. or you get on the RAF fucking plane, or you get whatever, and yeah. you get given your haversack for that non tactical journey, civvy journey somewhere, or waiting for something, and it's a brown paper bag with a lot of crap scoff in it. That's with like a fruit like a, uh, a slice of fruit cake and biscuits brown. That's a nose bag. That's a haversack. That's a haversack. I'm of pretty scoff. sure in the nineteen fifties haversack meant rucksack. Nah. Well yeah, you go, mate. Yeah. It's the twenty first century. No, no. There's no shepherd no, no. in and haversack's a little brown bag for These days, if I wanted to read something I'll use a spyglass. <laughs> Like just spyglass. Yeah, I've also when yeah. I'm going to, uh, I, I, we're slightly off topic here. Oh, we went spyglasses. Um, when I, I've never smoked, but when I'm 65 and therefore I don't <clears> give a shit anymore, I'm going to I'm going to take up smoking a pipe, just because I want to smoke. Not not I'm going to a range of pipes. I'm going to have like you know a, a, a crime solving pipe, a yeah. long kind of I agree with you. Gandalf ass chilling out pipe. I've owned a pipe and I, I I've had friends when we were in. We went 
we well, I said pipes, and we yeah. when we like, I used to smoke all the time, and we'd be in camp in. We're talking like two thousand and five, two thousand and six, two thousand and seven. I'd be smoking pipes. <laughs> <laughs> Pipes are cool. I can't wait. I mean, that's yeah. really bad for you, but I, yeah, yeah I'm definitely going to have a pipe collection when I'm 65. <laughs> so, um, you, you're not you like a free agent, aren't you? So you just yeah, yeah. you just go and work for. I will literally work with work with anyone who will employ me. Are you in a position where you can just set, just get? Um, so I think I want to do this project because that interests me. And you can no. get the funding for it. No, no. not even close. It's not what it looks like from the outside. It's it's worse paid than CRG by a different amount. And you work, you know, depends. I mean, like, you know, we did the, the Operation Iceberg was a big, was a big, big series, but it was only six weeks long. I mean, what was that about? It was the science of kind of icebergs and glaciers. It was really good. It's a good laugh because good team. Like I do like the one show now and people go, oh, you work with the one show. It's great. Yeah. But you know, each film I do, it's a one day shoot because the budgets are, the, you know, there's not the money and people, people assume it's not Hollywood, right? Hollywood's got loads of money. TV has got no money, and mm. the BBC especially have got no money. So, you know, like a, a one-show shoot is a one-day shoot, and often we haven't got the budget to do two travel days, so often you'll travel on day one, you'll film on day two, and then try and travel back that, if you can, that night, you know what I mean? So you'd end up doing like 20-hour days, which is... all The stuff I do, and they always ask me to do, you know, I, I'm not a professional presenter, I'm not your Ben Fogles or your, or your whoever, you know, I'm not like a, a professional TV presenter, they, they roll me in to do the stuff that they can't find anybody else to do basically, which is like cave diving, deep diving your wingsuit and skydiving, climbing that sort of stuff um, so it's perceived as like massively high risk, almost like fellas, the most dangerous thing we'll do is drive tired which you always do in shoots, because shoots are always restricted by, by budget, so mm. they minimise the number of days, they'll, they'll, <clears throat> they'll push the, the, the travel at the start and the end of the day, so you're forever diving, driving tired, and uh, you know, so like that's, that's the most dangerous part of, of, of working on TV, is like driving at night on your own, knackered. What do you do when you're not, when you're not on a project? Uh, try and generate work. 95% of the work I've done on TV, I've, I've come up with the idea of self-generated. Very little of it's come to me. I've always had to go. Huh. Yeah, even Operation Iceberg. I was initially, I was initially on to dive supervisor. And I was like, well, I've done some course. I wanted, you know, front of camera. The the one show stuff, you know, the last sort of four or five years doing that. I think that maybe one or two ideas have been brought to me by production companies. The rest of the films, like that, fifty. Was uh, odd films have been my ideas? Was racing the Falcon your idea? Was Beyond yeah. Bionic your idea? Yeah, yeah. I wrote. I was the associate producer on Beyond Bionic because oh, I, really? I wrote the idea up. Yeah, that's an idea we've been pitching for like seven years. Couldn't get anyone to make it, and then had a meeting with a guy called Ben Armstrong from um, CBBC because initially he, Ben phoned me up. He was the head of development, and he said, "We'd like to speak to you about making some stuff for Children's BBC." And I was like, "No, you fucking don't, mate." <laughs> You know, and he's like, mate, no, 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 you shouldn't look down your nose at, at kids' telly. He's like, mate, I'm not looking down my nose at you. I'm just, you know, ex council house jock squaddy. I'm probably not the bloke you want on kids' TV. Um, and he's like, no, no, we, we, we would like to, you know, come up to Manchester for a couple because the children's BBC is based in Manchester. Come up to us for a couple of days and uh, and and develop some ideas. I'm like, oh yeah, cool, cool. Now, I've got two two kids of my own, uh, and I had one at that point. Um, so I, was, I, I would, and I went up there, and they were absolutely brilliant. The most, the most genuine and credible people I'd met in telly, that I shut of it out. Like the re, because most of them had kids. They were like, right, we want, we don't want any bullshit. We don't want to make fake TV. We don't want to ham stuff up. You know, pretend it's like you know false jeopardy or drama. We just want to make genuine TV as it is and make it you know good. Because that's the thing, we'll make it for our own kids because we want to be good. So 
you know, those two days, they absolutely convinced me. And I was like, right, I'm massively on board. Whatever I've got to do uh, is all good. So I gave them the Beyond Bionic idea. They developed it. And then, uh, I mean, it took me and Ben basically about a year and a half to get the money to make it. And then, uh, yeah, we made it last year. Last year, yeah. And it was awesome. It was awesome. It was one of the, probably the best thing I've done in telly as far as kind of rewarding. Because I've actually seen, you know, a lot of people who work in telly think they are changing the world and they're not. They're making fucking telly. It's, it's, you know, but we're not, we're not curing cancer or, or, or solving third world debt. Whereas with the kids stuff afterwards, you know, speaking to teachers and parents and kids, you think, and I'm, again, I'm not going to, you know, I'm not the fucking messiah, but, you, you know, in a very, 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 very small way, you made a bit of a difference. Just kids like, oh, I was mm. interested in maths, but now like when you were talking about how, Jumping out of planes is kind of physics. Then suddenly it's cool. Uh, so uh, the quality is more important because um, the quality of it is more important because that your target audience are so much more impressionable. Yeah, so much more impressionable. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, I, I understand. I, I agree with you, mate. It's just nice to hear that the, the, that that kind of that that I'm, attitude. I'm, and I'm still pitching to. I mean, I'd like to do another series with with, with kids, B, kids BBC. Um, and I'm, I'm pitching ideas. Whenever I can, whenever they'll pick the phone up to me, because uh, yeah, I, I it was it was probably the best thing of stuff I've done. Um, what's next? What's that? What did you say was that next? What's next? What's next? Uh, what's being released next? You've already mentioned it. Uh, we, mate, we're, we're an hour and a half in almost. Are we? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, well, the what's next? So we, I just did some one show stuff where I was part of Motrin up the River Y. Um, we are trying to get doing something with the one show actually where I pitched this idea to do a uh, a game of live Quidditch you know the old broomsticks things at Harry Potter I I, uh, I went I went silent because for briefly I had that gormless look on my face because I was thinking how the fuck are you so the, the idea is this right the idea is this um, it's entirely doable it's not what it is so you basically lob a ball of a plane and then you and your mates have broomsticks and parachutes, and you'll, you jump after it for 15,000 feet, and then you basically play Quidditch on the way you, down. Uh, you, you deploy high, you open high, open your shoots high. No, no, you, well, you, no, no, you shoot probably quite low, because you'll, 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 you'll play Quidditch in free fall. Oh, so then, you're just saying you have shoots to re- just to reassure me you weren't jumping out the plane yeah, without a yeah. shoot? Yeah, well, I, I, thought, I thought maybe you, I thought maybe you thought, <laughs> what, just a broomstick? <laughs> Is right. that safe? So um, uh, are you going to need wingsuits? No, no, no. We're just gonna. Nah, nah. That's that. That would be that. Would get. I mean, I oh yeah, because are you gonna yeah. wingsuit? No, yeah. With a broomstick, that's just asking for problems. You have to close your wings to grab the fucking broom, wouldn't you? Yeah, and yeah, wingsuit. I, I mean, so you I, just, I, I you do tracking with it then. Tracking. Yeah, with basically, it. yeah, tracking. Do, do, do you skydive? No. All right, you got the lingo. Oh, I know a lot of blokes that do. All right. <laughs> <laughs> um, what ball are you gonna use? Well, I've got to build a special ball. Because it's got to have a parachute in it and an AED, like an automatic opening device. So if it gets to like, you know, 500 feet and it's still in free fall, it'll deploy a parachute safety wise um, to get get it past the sea, the Civil Aviation Authority, who kind of police the skies and therefore police skydiving. The thing, Are you doing it in the States, would you? No, no, we would like to do it in the States. I think the money, so we're going to do it in the UK. Hmm. Um, that's interesting. So that's what we're trying, we're trying to ask because there's a lot of paperwork to do. Um, because. As the folk don't realise, you know, we do the skydiving stuff on telly. Everyone in telly assumes skydivers all just chin Red Bull, high five and try and kill themselves. And actually, skydiving is the most heavily regulated sport in the country. Oh, really? Well, because skydiving it happens at airfields and airspace. Therefore, it's, it's <clears> controlled by the Civil Aviation Authority, the same people that, um, that, you know, that police Heathrow. 
So, of course, yeah. yeah. Um, the British Parachute Association going to look after skydiving, but on behalf of the CEA. So, yeah, it's, you've, you know, for me to get a plane, I've got to show a medical certificate. I've got to um, show currency, my logbook. You know, my my uh, my kit's got to be have been checked, and it's got the, the reserve repacks got to be in date, like an MOT in date, all that sort of stuff. There's a huge amount of kit and docs checks to do just to uh, be able to get on a, on a jump plane. Going back to the Quidditch, yes. How do you score a goal? We're gonna have two blokes with a big hoop, with a hula hoop. You're basically. serious, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or one. I think probably, probably mean just one bloke. But he, he's basically he's basically he's a, he's a goalpost. So he's gonna be holding the big, uh, holding the big hula hoop in free fall, and then we've got to lob the ball through the hoop. Will it move? Or will it go move laterally? All right, if you throw it. Yeah, I mean it'll move. It'll move. Yeah, you can because it's it. dropping as well. Yeah, but it'll it'll drop. It's because we've we've weighted it so it'll drop oh, the, the same yes, yes, the yes, same yes, speed yeah, as us. Yeah. So it'll drop roughly you know 120 mile an hour vertically. So we throw it. It'll st- it'll will it descend at the same rate yeah. even though it's going moving from left to right? Or yeah, what? pretty yeah. much. Because um, yeah. the, the cameraman looking at us throwing this ball because to, to to him we are static because we're falling at the same rate. So the ball will look as it's traveling roughly horizontal through the hoop. And if you miss or whatever pass, you got so you got, oh that, is, that sounds good. <laughs> yeah. When you when are you making that? Uh, well, it was meant to be like the last couple of weeks. Ago. It might have to be wait until next year because of the weather. Because uh, the yeah. UK is a rubbish place to skydive after uh, after about September. Um, what's what, something been released in a couple of weeks? though? you mentioned it earlier. Um, what the hell is that? Oh, that was the, the dive odyssey thing, the Finnish thing. Oh yeah, that's yeah, yeah. Right, yeah. Probably. I mean, Yanni is amazing, but he's also. Uh, it's also a bit mental, so it's supposed to be supposed to come out in November, but where November I don't know. I don't yeah, know. I like that. I like um, that. and then what else we're we doing? And then we're like a couple of weeks time we're, we're shooting a a cave diving film for Nat Geo, um, in Wookie Hole, which is cool. Where's that? Uh, Somerset. Wookie Hole is that yeah. a deliberate Star Wars reference? Uh, no, I think it's a Somerset thing. Wookie Hole. I think I think Wookie Hole is because there's a, it's in the village of Wookie. I think there's a. I don't know. But no, but Wookiee Hole's been around for like, I think before Star Wars, yeah. Oh, okay. All right. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, right. I, I don't speak Somerset, so I don't know. <laughs> um, anything you want to... We've got to wrap it up, mate. Anything you want to... Um, anyone, anything you want to mention? Shameless plug. Who the fuck? you got a book, haven't you? Oh, that was years ago, yeah, yeah. Two years ago? No, the book was like... No, the book was more than that. 2016? No. Or 15? F- 14, 15? I don't know. 15, I think it was. It's a few years out of date, anyway. Like, like, like the Bible. Yeah, you mentioned shepherds and that as well, you and your book. <laughs> yeah. Do I? Uh, if I if I don't, they'll definitely be in the uh, new edition. <laughs> how do people? How do people get hold of you? Um, how do people not get hold of you? Be- best way- uh Yeah, the website is anitorbit.com. But the best thing is Instagram. I've pretty much been Facebook and Twitter now because I just haven't got the time to do them all. So I'm, out, but I'm doing lots of on Instagram now. So Instagram's Instagram, good. Instagram is good. Isn't yeah, it? I, I actually, I actually, um, and I follow you. On Instagram? As of yesterday, I think that was. Are you that's bluffing? not I'm true. Paying, <laughs> you can't bluff and bluff mate. It's yesterday. That's not true. Before you thought, I don't follow him. I left out. That, that is not And I'll true. randomly like his stuff. That is not true. I've been following you for <laughs> at least three days. <laughs> <laughs> right, what is your handle on Instagram? I think it's uh, oh. Andy Torbert. Oh. Easy. Yeah. Perfect. Or Torbay, if we're in Torbay. Soho slash Palace. Torbay. Yeah. Torbay, yeah. Beautiful. Anything else? Uh, no, I think that's about it. Unless, unless somebody out there happens to be listening to this, has to be a TV commissioner and wants to commission a TV show. Uh, well, as long as it's not about Falcon Islanders, 
Yorkshires. Yeah. Yorkshires. Well, you, Yorkshire people. Well, see, I've been I've been fairly diplomatic. You're the one that's completely oh, ostracised your your target demographic. Yeah, I, pff, Yorkshire Cornish, okay. Falcon Anders. Yeah. Who else have we insulted? Shepherds. Although I think that was still you. Um, I'll always listen to myself on this. I listen to this after consistently. So I'll always have at least one listener. <laughs> it doesn't matter. I saw it. Right. Thanks for your time. Mate, cheers, man. Thank you. That is it for the show. Hope you enjoyed it. Uh, our sponsors today were Westway Nissan. Another shout out to them, giving up to 20% off their vehicles for members or former members of the armed forces. New and used cars, commercial and private sales. They are on the ball. Westway Nissan, uh, Westway Nissan on, uh, on social media, as per. Also sponsors today were Rugby for Heroes, a not-for-profit organization founded by a group of keen rugby players they raised over a hundred thousand pounds for the benefit charities and you can find them at rugbyforheroes.org and on facebook twitter and instagram feeds at rugby number four heroes on social media thank you hope you enjoyed until the next time out